Hi, you all listeners of Founder Thesis. My name is Shivakumar Ganesan. That's a long name. So people mostly call me Shivku. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Exotel, uh, India's largest customer engagement platform. When you're trying to disrupt and bring about massive change, it's good to remember that change happens gradually and then suddenly. This is a pretty good summary of the journey of Exotel. Started in 2011, it was a pioneer in the SME SaaS space in India before pivoting to focus on an enterprise API SaaS product. Till 2020, it struggled to raise funds from investors and then suddenly in the post-pandemic world, it raised more than $90 million and acquired two companies. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt talks to Shiv Kumar Ganeshan, the founder of Exotel about his journey of building one of India's pioneering SaaS companies and the roller coaster ride of building it into the giant that it is today. Shivkumar shares some amazing nuggets around market sizing, finding product market fit, fundraising, and lots more. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast to learn about building B2B businesses from the veterans of the space. Looking backwards, it does look like I was destined to become an entrepreneur. Uh, so many of my friends uh, wrote GRE and GMAT, uh, and I did not. And uh, something sort of blocked me from doing that. Uh, I think I quite liked the idea of working in a place and building something and uh, trying to take it to the market and things like that. Um, while you were at uh, Bits Pilani, where, where probably when you were like graduating, uh, no, actually, uh, this was after I joined Yahoo and after about a couple of years of working there, which is my first job. Um, so Yahoo also paid me more than what I thought I needed. So I had like, uh, I don't know, two years of runway at that point in time. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? And um, I wasn't really interested in, uh, you know, doing GRE and GMAT and I had lots of points of view on how products need to be built. I think the exposure that I got at Yahoo uh, was also incredible. So uh, at a time when starting up was not a thing, uh, when most people wouldn't even know what startups are, uh, because of my experience at Yahoo, uh, I used to listen to uh, podcasts from the Valley, uh, read uh, blogs like TechCrunch, and I think in those days there was Giga Home, and uh, books by Ram Charan and whatnot. Um, and I used to closely uh, follow the fight between Yahoo and Google on search. Uh, so <laughs> okay. I was kind of uh, hooked onto uh, the technology world, the ability that a bunch of people can come together and write some code and change the world. Uh, of course, Steve Jobs was still alive at that point in time. So he was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all those books and whatever else. And, I think that's really how I got started with my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, it does look look like after about two years of working, somehow I just knew that I was going to start. It was just a matter of time. Okay. Okay. Got it. So tell me about that journey into entrepreneurship, like from Yahoo. See, I think it was mostly that uh, I had a number of things to say and I, I had a point of view about the world. And uh, when I used to go and talk to people, they used to mostly shoot it down, if you will. And, uh, and somehow I wasn't able to take back for an answer. And then 
And then something kept telling me that I should pursue, I should continue on with my thoughts. Maybe I just wanted to prove to myself whether I am right or wrong. Um, maybe I just want to find it out on my own. Um, but that was really how it all got started. So when I was at Yahoo, I used to read these blogs and articles and books. And then uh, every quarter, I'll have a new idea. And then I'll pull somebody over and then I'll pitch the idea to them. And then mostly they will, if they are nice people, they'll just say, okay, let's catch up later. And then if they are direct people, they'll mostly say it's a stupid idea. Uh, but that, that just kept on principating in my life for a very, very long time. Uh, and then uh, after about five years, I got some awards, this, that. And then, so at that point then I was like, hey, you know, it's about time we tried something. So I actually quit Yahoo uh, with my colleague uh, to start off. Uh, my original idea was to build a cheap navigation device uh, for for India. Uh, because you had worked on Yahoo Maps, so that, that, that context. Yeah. I knew a lot about the tech and uh, Naturally, there was no maps at that point in time for India. and um, So that was what I got started with. Um, of course, it never really materialized. Um, I think the uh, partner who came out with me eventually ended up becoming an IAS and he seems to be enjoying that. So he was we never allowed to be an entrepreneur. I actually ended up uh, joining Flipkart. Um, they were actually a couple of blocks away from my house. So I used to hang out with them. And then I spent about six, seven months there, but they were doing really well. But somehow my itch to start something on my own never really stopped. So I actually quit Flipkart, even though they were doing really well. I was in the right place at the right time. I had a, a good amount of stake and whatnot. But uh, so then I again started from scratch, uh, started a classified marketplace type business uh, where uh, I think if I continued on with it, it would have become... Uh, something like OLX or Quicker today. Um, and then to enable uh, the marketplace, I had to come up with some phone number and ability for people to sell and send SMS and make phone calls. And it was like a medium agnostic classified business. And uh, so it was a tool. I went and spoke to a bunch of telcos, this, that, and then put together a tool. That tool actually has what now become exactly. Okay. And at this time, Nolarity was also there. You you didn't want to like just take Nolarity off the shelf. Uh... So it was a very strange uh, coincidence. So uh, I didn't know when I started writing the basic code for Exotel, there was no Nolarity yet. Uh, when I was weeks away from launching the product, somebody actually sent me a link saying, hey, check out Nolarity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If I had more more... Six months earlier, maybe I would have been, I would have been <laughs> running <laughs> this, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny, huh? life, the way life molds us. Okay. So, uh, uh, what made you take the call to shut down the classifieds business? Like, you know, uh, I mean, why did you go all in on uh, the telecom product uh, and, uh, not the classifieds? It appeared as though we'd be able to make more money with this than that. So. The classifieds business, uh, I was running it for about a year and three months. And then uh, it was mostly, I was driving towards traffic and uh, uh, increasing engagement. And, you know, a little bit here, there, some, I think all, overall, I would have made some 40 dollars rupees over the business. Uh, so there was no actually meaning over a year. Monetization way yet, because I had to wait for the critical mass to build in. Whereas here, people were willing to pay five little pieces of seat and... Uh, uh, from the get-go and uh, so I was quite attracted by the, and maybe at the back of my mind I, I also knew that I was running out of my runway 
So uh, I was like, hey, you know, someone's saying they'll pay for this. So let's just focus on this like going. And so that's how I think I pivoted away. I shut that thing out and started focusing fully on. Uh, oh, what was your go-to market for Exotel? Like, uh, you know, you, you had no sales and marketing experience. How did you figure that piece out? Initially, it was uh, mostly my network. So uh, as I told you, I was hanging around with the, all the startup enthusiasts for years when I actually started, almost maybe four or five years. And so I knew almost everyone. So I knew uh, Bhavesh from Ola. I knew the Bansals from Flipkart. Um, so all the guys who were actually at that point in time starting up, uh, who were a part of the, I knew Sasha from Practo. Uh, so those were my initial customers. Uh, so I went and pitched the idea to them and um, sometimes even forced them to buy. Uh, you know, <laughs> utilize my social yeah. capital a little bit to sort of frustrate them into purchasing it. And so almost, they must the entire first 15, 20 customers are all themselves startups. Uh, that was my initial uh, GTM strategy was to use my own personal. And, and what was the problem that Exotel was solving? For, like, like what was the solution or the product? At that point in time, we used to call it one number for your business. Um, so we said that uh, everybody needs a website and a number. And uh, so may that number be Exotel's number. And then we'll enable uh, both uh, SMS. There was no, there was no WhatsApp yet. So we'll bo enable post SMS and phone calls. And then, so you can now receive incoming calls for support. You can make outbound calls to sell your product. You can put this number on your listing card on your website. And then you can set up IVR, this, that. Uh, so that was what was the original uh, product. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Like, you know, so from this, uh, like this one number for your business product, uh, you know, how did you reach to... Uh, where you are today and, and like what I'd like to hear also is in multiple facets like so far you were bootstrapping it right so you would have realized at some point of time that you need funds to grow further and uh, you know to, to really scale it up so uh, uh, like could you tell me about that so uh, um, so step number one once I knew that a few customers were about to buy I got my co-founders in uh, again I tapped into my network um one is my uh, college friend, one is my ex-colleague, uh, and one is my college junior. Um, then uh, we started building, and the, between the four of us, obviously we knew uh, how to build, write code, and one of them was also uh, coming from, a, uh, you know, he was a part of the National Entrepreneurship Network, so he also again had a marketing type, at least startup marketing type experience. Um, and uh, so we quickly sold to about 50, 75 customers, then we raised a little bit of money from Mumbai Angels uh, and Bloom. Um, at that point in time, uh, even for two and a half crores, it seemed like a big deal. And then we we actually even did a party. We called everybody to go yeah. home and whatnot. Yeah. And um, so, so then... Was it easy raising that first round? First round was easy. In fact, I had like three term sheets. And uh, in fact, I even... Uh, there was the the, the equal... So there was actually a shark tank before the shark tank. Uh, so it was, a, it was running in ED now. So okay. uh, I don't know why it was called. Super yeah, Young Turks or something, no? Uh, I don't know about that. Super yeah. Angels. Okay. 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 So okay. I was a part of that and we actually take wow. money on TV. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Well, up until this point, uh, uh, we were still hot property. Mm. Uh, um, 
And then we said, you know, why were you hot property from from like a macro perspective? Help me understand. Like, was there like a uh, bet on cloud telephony as a sector which made you hot property, or was it like the founding team was very impressive, or was it like you had great traction? Both. See, I think uh, in general, timing is very important in uh, starting businesses. Um, so there was a time for uh, starting uh, cloud telephony businesses, and that time was maybe five, six years ago. Um, and then there are, for example, many companies may have started uh, dro- drone businesses. Uh, there was a time to start a drone business, but uh, because of regulations, etc., in India, for example, unfortunately, that story didn't really pan out. So sure. like now is the time for EV businesses. Now is the time for EV business. Uh, I don't know, maybe something in metaverse or what. So Bitcoin used to be, I think, three, four years ago. So so there's always a timing issue when people always start businesses congregated around those waves or, or patterns that seem to be emerging from the market. So uh, at that point in time, um, there wasn't, uh, see, See, this is, by the way, 2010, 2011 is also a very different time. So there was no smartphone yet. I think uh, around about this time, when I when we raised our first round is when I think WhatsApp, I just heard about WhatsApp. Uh, and I think uh, about six months earlier, Steve Jobs uh, demonstrated his iPhone 3. Uh, okay, okay. So you're still at very, very early stages. So there wasn't really any, anything to build in technology other than website and communication systems. So those are really the only things that... Uh, what what now we make on as B two B SaaS? So we are for property. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Okay, so yeah, uh, c- continuing with your journey. So you raised about two and a half crores. You said from that uh, ET buddy, the TV show, TV show, and then uh, it would scale that up to maybe about three hundred, three fifty, and small and medium companies. Uh, it was supposed to be a DIY inbound uh, content marketing driven. And these are all unheard of at that point in time, by the way. So we were like literally, we, we were probably uh, doing more inbound leads than anybody else in the country at that point in time. Uh, we didn't really have feet on the streets. Uh, so we were trying to build a classical SaaS company from India for India. Uh, so this is not, not even like the freshwork story, right? So this is actually from India for India. But that didn't really play out, um, and for for good reasons. So because, uh, it, it, DIY didn't work at that time, right? Like the the customers would not have been savvy enough to uh, use a DIY service. Uh, that's correct. So see, most of the uh, the dam at that point in time was still startups, and then obviously those guys loved it. Uh, but uh, I don't think people beyond the startups were really interested in uh, or knew about DIY or what what SaaS is and how to buy it and things like that. Um, secondly, I don't think SMB India was a large enough market. So I think even my pitch was slightly flawed from the get go. Um, there was no way, uh, I could have built a billion dollar business using the pitch that, uh, at least I showcased to people at that point in time. So people were like, Hey, this is all fine, but can you tell me how we are going to cross above 50 crores of revenue, 100 crores of revenue, right? So I didn't really have an idea. Um, so naturally then the exam, yeah, your pitch was that there'll be millions of, uh, uh, like mom and pop shops, uh, like a coaching center or a boutique or a beauty parlor, who would sign up for this number? Like that was the that is it. Okay, that is the reason. I think was uh, too early. Uh, the uh, the market was definitely shallow. You know, I think we could have sold maybe five hundred rupees a pop, but that was more like Soho, small office, home office, very very small. 
um, it's fine, but uh, it's not going to be a meaningfully large business. Um, so I, I was, I was a mistake. So, so I had a failed Series A attempt. Um, then uh, a couple of years, one year after that, uh, we pivoted into enterprise. Um, so we started selling the API platform, which we always always had. And um, so then Ola adopted us, then Uber adopted us. Uh, and then somehow we discovered what we internally call as the last mile connect market. So we became the backbone through which, um, you know, drivers and passengers, teachers and students, doctors and patients, uh, buyers and sellers, all of these people started talking to each other through the cloud. And so it was the accidental market that we ended up in. Um, because, because we always had the API platform, it was, it wasn't even like we were trying to build anything. We always had it. So we, we had to just expose it and people started using it. And uh, uh, just help me understand what exactly is this uh, product you're talking about? L like, uh, it is what you know Exotel for. So, you know, number masking. Uh, um, so, a call comes from your Uber driver, it comes from a landline number uh, and things like that, right? So, you would like to call uh, a, a, a seller in just dial. Uh, the number that we see there is not the number of the person uh, whom you're actually dialing. So, people are using it for protecting privacy. Uh, for tracking the calls, for call recording, for compliance, a whole bunch of things, uh, quality assurance. So, so that really took off. Uh, so, um, you know, I used to joke that uh, there was a point in time when we used to make more money off of a loaner, right, than Ola itself. Uh, <laughs> you know, people Fair make about uh, on an average two and a half calls per ride. Uh, <laughs> okay. We were actually making about two rupees for Ola, right? Uh, so of course all of that is now history but so I'm happy to share that uh, uh, apart from venture capitalists uh, and maybe companies like uh, GoDaddy and uh, folks like this Exopen actually is the unsung hero of the Indian startup ecosystem um, so we've actually powered um, practically any startup that you can now think of um, and uh, I'm I'm very happy to share with you that to you and all the listeners, you're all, we're all customers and users and beneficiaries of Agrippal services. Uh, we've actually touched, if I'm not wrong, close to about little less than 20% of the, uh, of India's population today. So, so that's like, I don't know, 253 million people have used Exodus uh, services so far. So that's, that's quite massive. Wow. Amazing. So like uh, every time you order food from a, like a Zomato or a Swiggy and that, that call transaction or uh, like looking for businesses on just style, that transaction and uh, Ola Uber, of course, all of these are like where Exotel is working in the back end. Correct. That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And uh, what kind of revenues did you do then? Like once you discovered that this uh, API business uh, enterprise clients. So I think we took it all the way to about uh, 75 crores types uh, top line, actually. Uh, which year was that? This must be 2018, 2017, 2018. Okay. Uh, okay. Hmm. Hmm. So we were just going about, uh, by the way, there was actually one more attempt to raise funds. Uh, and because this was obviously growing quite well. Um, and so again, I went and pitched. But again, I wasn't really able to showcase how we are going to build a billion dollar business because mostly people will be like, what after number market? Uh, what after it? What, what, hap what after keep to call? Right. So, so then I wasn't really able to paint a large picture. And so that also, again, uh, ended up becoming a failed attempt. Um, 
So uh, uh, the click to call was what? Like you could uh, enter your number on a website and do click to call, and then a call would come to you and come go to the business and connect both of you, something like that. I mean, that's the most basic version. Uh, but when I talk about click to call, I mean more like let's say uh, you have a relationship manager at ICICI, and let's say he wants to now uh, get in touch with you. Uh, he's not at scene. People no longer go to office, right? So there is no like. Uh, an Avaya phone or whatever it is that people used to have. So they actually click on the CRM somewhere and then uh, using that they actually talk to you. So it sort of becomes like the virtual uh, uh, call system for employing that company. Okay, okay, okay. Like a cloud, uh, that CPaaS is what this is called, right? Like So when CPaaS, uh, this, I, I don't know, maybe you can call this cloud PBX, you can call this uh, cloud phone system, uh, a CPaaS is a generic term that uh, people use, communication platform as a service. It's a generic term that we use to describe the overarching infrastructure of the platform using which applications like this can be built. Okay. 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 Got it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that fundraise uh, then uh, uh, didn't happen. Like, even at 75 crores top line, uh, you were struggling to raise funds. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's like... A, a, uh, was it the valuation also that you were expecting a higher valuation or no, I just think it's, I don't think I was able to demonstrate to people clearly enough as to how large this can be, this can become. So I used to always go and tell people, this is what we are doing, right? But I think most investors are looking forward to understanding how big can, can this become. And uh, maybe I wasn't able to. Maybe I wasn't able to visualize it myself. Um, and I don't think I was, certainly I was not able to help them visualize it. So people always looked at Exoton as a good technology, profitable business, uh, which makes a little bit of money. I'm sure they can make 100 crores, 150 crores, 200 crores type top line. But after that, God, right? So I think that's the way. And mostly I think people thought of it as a small tax. Mm. So, okay. Okay. Because the, uh, like, like WhatsApp, etc., are in a way substituting uh, that what used to happen through regular telephone calls. Correct. Um, um, unfortunately, in my case, WhatsApp ended up becoming uh, argument point against our business because most people would then at that point in time used to say that you know WhatsApp is take away your business. People will move to uh, digital channels. All of that of course is happening, but I think uh, what uh, truly. Uh, change the game was COVID. Um, and I'll tell you uh, why that got me got me and everybody else excited. So, so let's say let's take an example. So let's say you want to give your car for servicing. Um, four years ago, you will take the car to the service station in the morning. Um, tell them what your problem is. Take an auto go to the office. Come back in the evening. Uh, pick up the car and come home. Correct. So this is what we use. That is now there is a CRM integration. There is a phone call or a WhatsApp message that comes and says, hey, it's time for you to send the car for servicing. Then you say, oh, yeah, whatever. Then there's a guy who comes and then picks the car up and goes back. Uh, then the advisor actually does a video call with you to show the scratches or speedometer or whatever it is that he is going to do. Then he sends a job card on WhatsApp. Maybe you make the payment on WhatsApp. Um, and then, you know, in the evening, the car comes. So what used to be a zero technology business transaction has now ended up coming a few WhatsApps, one video call, uh, one CRM integration, one chatbot. Uh, um, and so so this is the big deal, right? So the we are now at the cusp of converting the world 
So, so that's the big deal, right? So we now are sitting at the possibility of powering practically every business transaction that's going to now happen in the world. And almost all of them is going to be a hybrid of remote and in-person going forward. Uh, we all know that it's because of COVID and the fact that people are habituated into buying remotely now. So there's no going back. And I think this is really what uh, gets me excited. Uh, I, I know earlier I used to think of Exodal as the backbone of the startup ecosystem. Now I think of Exodal as the backbone of every every ecosystem, every every company, every business transaction that potentially happen. All of them involves some SMS reminder, some WhatsApp, something, some phone call somewhere, some chatbot, some integration. So... I think that's that's the exciting part. And I think uh, I saw this. Uh, I think investors were able to see it, uh, and our numbers were also showing it. Uh, and I think that's really what lifted our business from what looked like a hey, they'll get to two hundred crores and then it'll be a lifestyle business to uh, hey, this can actually be a, a potentially a couple of billion dollars top line revenue company uh, mm. and go public in India, sort of. Mm-hmm. Wow, amazing! So, uh, tell me the journey of how you figured this out. Like, you you got that uh, second time rejection when you tried to raise funds in 2019. Uh, you know, the, how did that lead to you discovering this new product market fit and uh, this pivot, which took place? I mean, we didn't really actually discover much. I think, see, we just before COVID, we were actually going to banks and then we were trying to sell our uh, virtual relationship manager solution which is what I just talked to you. How do we now get uh, stockbrokers and uh, relationship managers? How do we now get one-on-one interaction going between uh, them and the customers? Now, everybody liked it. They wanted to buy it, but there was no, uh, um, there was no uh, impetus for them to sort of adopt it uh, right here, right now. So these used to be long, protracted conversations. Then we slowly, we were making headways. And uh, I think that's how life would have gone. But uh, uh, actual relationship manager was like a, a chatbot-based uh, solution. Like you could uh, start chatting on your ICICI bank app, for example, that what is my balance and it would like fetch that through a system integration. Uh, and if you wanted to talk to a human being, then it would enable that conversation also. Like something like that or like something like that. But we weren't doing chat yet. Uh, so this was still the phone number using which you can call your relationship manager in, in HDFC bank, that guy can now call me back on the same number, but this is actually not a real phone. So this is actually a virtual virtual number and you call it, you call to his cell phone, you call it, you come to your cell phone. So it is still an extension of the original demo uh, marketing type idea that we had. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Different use case in a different industry. Right, it solves the problem of uh, attrition, like your relationship manager moved on. Like in my case, uh, I still have numbers of like relationship managers I had two, three years back on my phone. So it solves that problem because now the number doesn't change. A new person can come in then. Correct. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, hmm. uh, so, so this was how we were going to get into BFSI and uh, it was going to happen very slowly. Uh, it just happens that uh, overnight everybody had to go remote and once they lost access to that phone in the desk, then uh, every BFSA co- company wanted to now adopt this, right? So, uh, you know, and if you think about it, BFSA is about 40% of uh, Nifty. So so that's the single largest uh, market for most software companies in India. So suddenly we had like too many leads and we couldn't uh, pursue. And then it was a very busy COVID uh, time for us. 
and then of course there was also covid helpline numbers and lots and lots of requirements actually because everything was remote so that's really what took off uh, so this is the reason why uh, zoom took off this is the reason why twilio took off in the us it's the same reason why we took off uh, many other communication companies also took out took off route mobile took off so i think it was a um, uh, it was a moment in time where everybody suddenly saw the power of what these communication systems this engagement technology can do and i think it really just sort of took off and we were right there at the right time and it was just hard to miss so there was nothing really for us to do we we had to just ensure that you did well right 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 amazing okay and what did you do as your top line then from that 75 crore what did that become um uh it, i think we last year we ended up so the platform business ended at about 200 crores of uh, top line and uh, we also ended up acquiring two other businesses uh, there was the contact center business of ameo which uh, was also doing about 100 crores of top line and uh, we also acquired a, a ai company um, and then uh, now we are in the process of putting it all together uh, so we'll end up with about i don't know 60 million dollar type arr uh, so pending in the of course uh, dollar rupee is fluctuating too much uh, I don't know where he started right now, but somewhere in the 60 million type uh, ARR now. So, uh, I mean, this uh, so this is still like a virtual number service which started selling like hotcake. Uh, how did that uh, expand into what you explained to me, like a uh, something which powers every interaction with a customer for a business? So, I think it was mostly uh, okay. This is a place where I think that. Uh, 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 I was also uh, dig my bit, so it was not like we were just sitting there watching the wave play. So, Satin Bhatia and I, we were actually talking um, about. See, if you think about it, contact center is the single largest use case on the CPaaS platform, uh, and so uh, uh, we had the platform, we had all the APIs. Uh, we didn't really have the ability to actually sit and build out the contact center. So, hey, I, I went and told them, hey, you know, what if we join hands and you know, let's bring. emerging markets first cloud contact center and uh, so that was the thesis um uh, originally i attempted to do that purely on an equity basis so we were trying to see if we can do like a stock swap but unfortunately these kinds of deals don't happen without cash on the table um because uh, abio had also investors on the cap table like their address yeah, absolutely yeah. so okay. so then i had to wait for my first round from a91 to happen uh and then basis that then i went back and uh, they were actually talking to somebody else for an acquisition somehow i went in and then pulled the deal out of the lion's mouth and uh, <laughs> uh so it was very very exhilarating uh, quite exciting times um uh, on one side of course you were all pissed about covid itself but i was actually doing the work of my life uh, during covid um so there was one year in which i had raised uh just in one calendar year i had raised four rounds and did two acquisitions uh all in a span of 12 months so we were announcing that we quarter hmm wow amazing oh, this was like the, the first round you did was about 5 and a half million then 16 million uh yeah. and then uh, there's a small 1 million round which is probably an extension uh and then a 35 million uh series c and then a 40 million series d correct wow incredible and like uh, this was uh, on the back of uh, two things i guess one would be the uh, trending revenue numbers because 
you uh, your like the platform core platform was selling like hotcakes and second was uh, this uh, new vision which you had of building a overarching uh, platform to power all customer communication for which you wanted to acquire Amio. So I figured that uh, so there was the one key observation was that uh, okay so I've always had the vision of uh, bringing um, a pure cloud contact center seamless easy to use good to use cloud contact center for emerging markets right from the get go because that's how it happens in the US and I'm like how come it's not happening in emerging market? Someone's going to solve it. So that vision was always there. Uh, but the key observation was that the largest segment, which is the BFSA segment, now has started adopting cloud and AI in a big way since COVID. And that was a big motivation for us. And we also uh, saw that um, people wanted to buy more and more channels and products from the same vendor so that they actually have only one person to sort of deal with. And uh, that was the motivation behind the full stack customer engagement platform, which is to say that uh, we will help you handle all the channels. We will also in fact have the applications that are built on top of these channels. Um, and uh, we'll be able to also ensure that we have keep all the data in the same place so that you're able to now um, understand your first party data a lot better, right? You make a call from the call center, you'll be able to use the API to download it and you can use it to train the chatbot so that it responds better the next time, sort of thing. And so, so for that, I think that that integrated suite of products, I think customers, at least I, we saw that customers wanted something like that. Uh, so that was the uh, in observation and uh, and so to, through, by bringing Exotel, Amio and Cobno together, uh, so we now converted what was a customer communication platform into a full stack customer engagement platform. Uh, what does Amio and Cogno add? Like, what are their what? What is the Amio product? Um, Amio is a cl uh, contact center product. Uh, they were well known for building. Uh, they were, I think, maybe the third largest uh, contact center software provider in India and in emerging markets. Um, so, by acquiring them and then by and what what is a contact center software look like? Uh, can you just describe what it does? Like. Nothing. I mean, every time you call uh, call some, uh, uh, let's say, Amazon for uh, mm -hmm. some query, it's going to their contact center. Um, mm -hmm. Let's say somebody's calling you and saying, hey, it's time for you to make your credit card payment. That's coming from mm -hmm. contact center. So these are all contact but, centers. And you were already doing this, right? Like uh, the single number for a business is the same thing. Like, like how is it different from what you were already doing? So this is enterprise grade. Uh, so ours was more like a, uh, customer communication management, SMB, SaaS product. Uh, that was on one side. And then we also had the APIs, which were not really anything. I mean, they were just APIs. So you can build anything that you want, but you still have to build it from scratch. But this is actually like a true blue enterprise contact center. So it will have features like skills-based routing, predictive dialer, workforce optimization. So some competing products in the US would be 5.9, 8 by 8 Things and oh, there's uh, Ozone Tell in India. There's Ozone Tell in India. Um, so this is actually a segment on its own. So uh, with a specific software for it for 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 uh, for, for for that need. So so the contact center then happens to be the largest use case of a CPaaS platform. So that was the under behind getting uh, Amio and then making it work with the Exotel cloud, so that we now have an integrated suite where the Software is still Amio, but the backend, the network, the the SMS, the WhatsApp, everything is powered by the CPaaS platform. 
Uh, and SMS and WhatsApp uh, also was added by Amio, or you built that in house, like the SMS WhatsApp uh, capabilities. Uh, SMS was uh, originally in the erstwhile uh, exoden. Uh, uh, Amio had the WhatsApp, uh, what should I say, partner account, um, and then we ended up building the APIs around it. So they had like a, a application uh, on it. So we ended up extending that and converting it into APIs. Uh, and now we are expanding to other channels like, I don't know, hopefully we'll add Instagram and this and that, uh, Viber and whatnot. Okay. Like uh, Instagram from a messaging perspective, like to send DMs to customers. That's right. Uh, to respond to uh, customer queries, support queries, uh, to send, you know, we may even include uh, things like push notifications, email. So these are all other more and more channels. Uh, so APIs for doing all of these things. Hmm. Okay, okay. And uh, what does Cogno add? Uh, like, wh wh why did you acquire Cogno? Cogno is a leader in chatbot uh, in BFSI. Uh, so, uh, as you know, uh, the world is moving towards a couple of things. One is uh, more and more chat-based communication systems are coming in the place of voice-based systems. Um, so, uh, people don't want to call up contact center numbers anymore. So they just want to send the chat message. Uh, and then they want it to be asynchronous. Uh, so you can reply back whenever you have time and I live with my life, live on with my life. Uh, and now that once it is chat on the other side, uh, you could now potentially hook up a bot um, so that can hopefully handle simple queries. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's a win for the customer because you get instantaneous response. Um, it's a win for the enterprise because it reduces cost. Um, so, uh, so pretty much any chatbot that you encounter in any banks, there is a very high chance that it is actually a Cognobot. Um, so then our endeavor is to now sort of bring in these AI capabilities into our enterprise contact center product, uh, and then bring in the cloud capabilities. And then, so now we will have uh, a world-class, uh, contact center product, uh, that pretty much has anything that you can think of, right? Multi-channel, uh, uh, AI-enabled, cloud, uh, highly scalable, reliable. Uh, that would be a, I think that would be a winner. So, uh, I want to understand the AI-enabled tag. You know, I think a lot of businesses use this tag very casually of AI-enabled. Uh, what are the things which AI is, uh, which you're using AI for? You know, what is the way in which it is adding value to the customer? So, uh, so there are a few things that REI can do. So you can now point it to FAQs, to your website, uh, to your internal knowledge management system, and then it'll now create all of these details and then it'll now try to build some topics. And then uh, you can hook it up to a WhatsApp number uh, or you can put a chat window on the website. So when somebody comes in and then they open and says, I want to know more about how you all disperse personal loans. Um, so then uh, the chatbot already knows the answer. So it will now respond back with, um, uh, here's what I know about the thing. Uh, would you like to have more information? If so, send me a yes and I will connect you to an agent. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Like okay. That. So, so that's what, so the bot right now is mostly a services queries bot. Uh, that's one. Um, the bot, uh, we've also now hooked up a voice uh, component to the same NLU infrastructure. So technically very soon, and we actually have a few uh, POCs running already, you could now 
also we can hook it up to a number so if you call in and then like how sundar pichai gave this demonstration of uh, of uh, interact i think they call it ida interactive voice agent um, maybe nothing as dramatic as that but uh, something simple enough we'll be able to sort of deploy especially it'll be useful for outbound so there's a specific intent with which the bot will call you it might now tell you hey you know it's time for you to make the payment uh, so those kinds of things right now they'll be like pre recorded conversations ivr calls which is not fun now can we humanize that a little bit more and uh, can we now make it more personalized so it can do that uh uh soon enough hopefully we'll be able to now get the bot to analyze the calls and then it can now tell you the sentiment or whether the call was a good call or a bad call so it it can now provide insights and analytics around conversations uh maybe it could even suggest to the agent uh somebody is ordering a gift it can now say hey it's time for you to upsell like gift wrap uh and then maybe the agent can say hey you know do you want to also gift wrap the package so it could be uh, assisting the agents to doing their job better uh so those are all some of the features and functionalities that are possible okay and uh, what about the uh, the act of raising funds uh, is there uh, advice you can share on that like uh in terms of uh, like you know what is the way to reach out and what is the way to build credibility and what kind of investors to target and so on and so forth and i think in this case i think it will be dependent on a person's style um but i'll tell you what i did so i actually always uh, said things at it as it is uh and so that's actually both my boon and bane um so i never used to hype things up nor 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 did i ever uh paint a bleak picture uh so i used like to always paint that light picture and i think that essentially increased uh, credibility so even today many people may not have funded me but uh, they're always they'll always pick up the call if i call them uh they like to know what is it that i am up to yeah okay uh, okay so i think that really worked um second is i think you should think of fundraising as a journey rather than an event um so i actually kept in touch with people even when i was not trying to raise funds i used to generally catch up with people i tell them give them updates and build relationships and i think uh people like to uh see that you are around and you are interested and you are persistent and you are going to pay no matter what against all odds and um and so i think that also happened so you know from a91 i've actually known gautam for like over a decade uh and he's seen me build the company from zero to everything right so, so there's a lot of credibility and trust that gets built with it so he knows that i'm not going anywhere and i'm if it is possible to win i'm going to be here and i'm going to try to win Right, right, right. Okay. So I think these are two uh, thoughts I'd like to uh, leave. Uh, people also try to convince investors to invest, which is I think the wrong way to go about it. Uh, I usually think that one must ask oneself, what is a substantial sum of money? So let's say for you, maybe twenty lakhs is a substantial sum of money. now i'd like for you to write a business plan and i'd like to ask you would you put 20 lakhs of your money into this plan yes <laughs> right so it needs to pass the uh, you be an investor in your own company uh, test first and then once people start start to think of it that way then it's no longer about convincing the investors it's actually about building a business and then raising money becomes a part of that um so i mean these are all very uh, you know basic things that uh, you know first time entrepreneurs actually make these mistakes but once you sort of get the experience then you realize that 
raising funds is not the end game right it's just a part of another end game the other end game the primary objective here is to build a business so hmm 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 amazing okay up is there a risk of uh, you losing your frugality and, uh, and this frugality is an assumption i'm making i mean considering that uh, you were not able to raise funds for the first 7 uh, 8 years you must have by force been a very frugal organization uh, and you know so so do you see a risk of that changing not only is there a risk of that changing in fact it has already happened Okay. Uh, so we've actually taken three profit making gun companies and we've converted it into one massive loss making company. <laughs> and then now we are working towards how to bring it out of the shithole. Go back to how this is what we are doing. And that's okay. I mean, see, look, I think when you have the money and if you don't spend, then what's the point, right? So suddenly you do uh, make experiments, do experiments, make some bets, and that's what we try to do. And And some of them will work, some of them will not. But ultimately, you'll still learn. And then uh, the hardwiring on, uh, um, I won't say frugality as much as sustainability. Uh, actually, I wouldn't even say that. That's ultimately the see the whole the objective of a company uh, company is to make profits for the shareholders, right? So that's the stated goal of the institution. So it you know there is no at least in my mind, I'm not mincing that. So uh so the ultimately the question that i'm asking is how do we add value to customers and how do we make money for shareholders those are the only two things that matter everything else is bullshit hmm hmm yeah, okay okay uh, uh, i want to understand a bit about your pricing journey uh, and you know what what uh, you must have had to relearn pricing also when you moved from smes to enterprise customers uh, uh, tell me about that like how did you figure out pricing for the smes and then how did you again figure out pricing for enterprise customers so when we started i think it was all over the place because uh, there weren't too many competitors and so we did whatever we did but i think as the industry matures and as there are more competitors who come in um frankly there's not much you can do about it uh so the axis of pricing will be well established uh, in the market so for example you have to sell sms on a per sms basis you can't do anything else you have to sell a contact center on a per seat basis so so they are all uh, well established practices so the axis of pricing uh, is interesting only when you are launching something new um, for example uh, in the case of bots uh, one could now say can we just charge them per month overall can we charge them on a per conversation basis so we are doing some experiments like that so i think the first uh, way to think about pricing is what is the axis of pricing and Uh, as entrepreneurs our goal is to ensure that the axis of pricing is different from the axis of cost uh, so if you are now purchasing something at uh, something and then you are adding a little bit of masala and you are selling it at the same same axis of pricing then uh, there isn't a, it becomes a cost plus model and so uh, the company begins to think in the cost plus way and then margins ultimately will be squeezed one way or the other because people will now ask questions about how much value you are actually adding to the to the to the masala that you are adding right so instead uh, my recommendation for everybody would be to um, ensure that your input cost is on a axis of pricing that is different from the uh, axis of pricing of your output or the sale price uh, so that will ensure that um, there is better margins and then there is better sustainability yeah, so, can you give some examples on this 
So, uh, I think, uh, okay, uh, in my, of course, I'll give you my industry example. So, um, there's a company called Attentive in the US, uh, which actually purchases SMSs from CPAS companies, uh, of course, on a per SMS basis, uh, but they actually charge the end user on a, as a percentage of the GMV that is generated because of their SMS market. Right, so they're actually saying, don't care about how many SMSs that I spent, but I'm going to now track how mm. much GMV I brought to you, and then you give me a mm. share on the mm. Wow, amazing. Okay. Uh, which would uh, create uh, an incentive within the organization also to uh, that masala which you put in, you, you need to make sure that it is, part of it is also reducing the amount of input you need to achieve the same output. Like, can you get that same GMV increase in lesser number of SMSs? thereby increasing your margin. Your, your ability to increase your margin is much more in your hands uh, as opposed to a cost plus model where your customer also knows it's cost plus. He also probably knows that, and especially with enterprise customers, they would already be aware that this is the cost and this is what your margin is. And so that constant pressure to reduce your margin, you would be facing. Absolutely right. The second key insight is... Uh, um, you know, enterprise, large enterprises do not have a constraint in terms of budget, actually. Um, so, as, so long as you're talking to the right stakeholder, they actually have the money to make the, make the purchase. So, uh, you can actually, first of all, price it more than what you think, especially if you're coming from S off of an SMB background, you can actually charge more, much more than what you think you can charge, point number one. Uh, and then on, and then you will, you should of course be, they'll be demanding quality a lot more because it will be business critical for them. So in BFSA, like you can't like have unreliable, non-secure products and stuff. So you should now instead focus on building more quality and, uh, uh giving more, uh, relation, building better relationships and, uh, you know, having more people with the services bent of mind, trying to understand what is it that they wanted. And they'll be willing to more than happily pay for all of these services. Um, so, so that's one. And secondly, uh, um, it's completely fine for you to bake in like a yearly contract uh, uh, cost increase. Um, uh, I think these are some practices that most people who are coming in from an SMB background, you know, they don't really think of these kinds of things. But actually, this is all quite standard in the enterprise. So, uh, Salesforce, I believe, has like a 10% yearly cost increase baked into the contract, right? So, uh, so these are some quick thoughts that came to my mind that I wanted to share on pricing. Mm. Oh, so, uh, you know, in the long term, uh, can you like break down the the economics of the business? Like what kind of pricing would you be doing? What would be your cost? What would be your margins? Uh, I mean, today, maybe as you said, it's loss making, but what do you see it being like? What's the ideal state? Like what kind of uh, pricing, margin, costing, etc. Th that mix? Unfortunately, now the business has become a little bit complex. Uh, so I won't, yeah, because now we have like some seven products that we are selling. Uh, and each one of them have their own pricing access and uh, market profiles and things like that. So it's a little bit like asking Apple what will be your margin profile. And having said that, I think the ideal case scenario for us would be something in the 45% uh, type gross margin profile uh, and... Uh, 15% uh, type EBITDA profile. Uh, so this mm -hmm. is what we're working towards in the uh, three to four year time frame. Okay. And, and uh, what percentage of your revenue comes from enterprise? Almost all of it. Almost 80% of it. Okay. 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 So that, that SME business is very small now. Uh, That's a very small. 
Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, do you see opportunity there, like to create uh, more products which would appeal to SMEs and so on, or like that market is not deep enough? Probably is interesting now, but actually we've crossed that uh, bridge now. So I don't hmm. want to add. So, I mean, right now, whatever something's working, so I just want to build more on top of it. And like, I don't want hmm. to go back. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, how did you change your uh, go-to-market DNA? Like, you know, the, the DNA for selling to SMEs would be, as you said, DIY and inbound leads uh, kind of a DNA. Uh, how, how did you change that? See, initially there was one person who said uh, uh, we should do an enterprise and then I'm going to show it to you guys how to do it. And then we allowed him to do it. And then he got <laughs> one customer, he brought another customer. Then we yeah, said, yeah, these are the banking customers that he got, like BFSI customers. No, this was actually the Uber, the uh, ah, okay, okay, or, okay, for the API business, okay, API business. So, and so pretty much he became like the enterprise head, and ultimately he became the entire sales head. So, that's how it originally happened. Uh, um, but fortunately for uh, our other two businesses, so Cogno started off by selling to large enterprises, and he has his own story, and that's also a very interesting story. Uh, and then Amir also had an enterprise outbound sales motion. So finally, when we brought it all together, we actually had the entire gamut of things. So we had outbound marketing, ABM, you know, sheet on street, inside sales, SDR. So we now have like a full fledged, full blown, you name it, we have that team. So we do everything. Uh, can you uh, help uh, me understand what are, what is an uh, enterprise sales uh, org structure like? Like, what are these various teams and how do they contribute? Uh, well, at a high level, uh, there will be a there will be a marketing team and then there will be uh, there will be a marketing team and a sales team. So, marketing by and large will be responsible for uh, thought leadership, brand and positioning, uh, events, um, those kinds of things. Uh, we also actually have the SDRs, the sales development representatives, also report into marketing. So, so they do a bit of cold calling. They do a bit of research. Uh, they uh, they do account mapping. They reach out to customers cases. Sometimes you also call it ABM account based marketing. Uh, so that also actually falls under uh, our marketing uh, charter. And it also has uh, communications, PR, uh, content, and then there's also of course an inbound motion. Uh, so on the website, the asset, um, you know, the uh, ads that we put. Um, and then the entire conversion from the websites, all of that. Uh, then we have an inside sales team, uh, which actually qualifies these leads and then converts the opportunities and then adds it to the CRM. Uh, so, so this is all sort of in the uh, uh, marketing ambit. And then once it becomes the sales accepted lead or SQLs, if you will, so then it's sort of part of the funnel. So the sales team itself can further be split into either um, geographies, clusters, or industry, or even product. In fact, we actually have a matrix of uh, clusters and products. So we have people focused on BFSI, on startups. Um, um, you know, sometimes we actually also have regions. So focused in the Middle East, focused in India, focused in Southeast Asia. And then we also have uh, GTM specialists who are focused on products. So there's a voice specialist, there's an as messaging specialist, there's a WhatsApp specialist. Um, and then so it sort of becomes like a three in a box sort of uh, models. Uh, so 
uh, and then they work together to sort of create the GTM strategy, the motions, and actually identify the accounts, mapping it, going and selling. Hmm. Well, okay. And uh, is this something for which there was already a playbook or did you have to like figure this out on your own or? So this is now evolved over time. Uh, um, so we also, we also have a customer success team earlier. We then converted into a customer experience team. So we've actually also experimented with a whole bunch of stuff, but this is basically uh, the knowledge that the, uh, has been assimilated from three different companies, uh, the good and the bad, all of it coming together with a little bit of external consultants coming in to help. So it's a it's a combination of multiple things. And I'm, I'm not even trying to say that this is actually going to be the end game for us of the org. Uh, I think it will continue to evolve uh, even further. So it's a journey. Mm. 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 Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, speaking of uh, assimilation, uh, like, um, it ha- it, that's one of those things which uh, a lot of uh, startups are not able to manage so well. Is that one of your concerns? Like you've acquired these two companies, how would uh, how would the combined organization work as a cohesive unit? How would you look at a cohesive culture and the practices and so on? Like, you know, what, what yeah, do you I think? Of- I think we've nailed it. Uh, I'm actually very pleased with the way I think 80% of everything is working fine. You know, uh, people are all doing their jobs. The first year of uh, the acquisition, all three companies actually hit their numbers. Uh, and then uh, we've not had a large amount of churn or anything like that. Uh, people have sort of come together and there is still on the ground, of course, a little bit of uh, challenges. But I think by and large, we've uh, managed the show very well. Uh, how, how did you nail it? Like, what's the secret of that success? I think, I think most two things. One, uh, um, one is my own uh, personal ability. Um, so I, uh, my superpower is being nice to people. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. So, yeah. um, so, you know, why wouldn't you want to hang on to the nice person, right? So I think that's yeah, one. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, Ishwar's superpower is listening, uh, my partner. So okay. he uh, also did another uh, couple of uh, tactical uh, things that I think really cemented the uh, organization. So he actually now uh, ensured that everybody got the same salary, no matter which company you're from, uh, uh, things like that. Uh, so there are, I think, a couple of these very early things that we didn't really cemented the trust. Uh, this was number two. Uh, um, I think. There's also quite a bit of strategic alignment. So this was not like some random company that we picked up along the way. Uh, you know, we actually, dis- I actually discussed the vision with, with Sachin Bhatia, with Daman, and then they saw it, they questioned it, and then they exactly knew what we are trying to do and why. Uh, so I think there's a lot of strategic treatment. But more than all of this, I think uh, we gave the time that was necessary. So we didn't really rush into uh, pulling things together, and I didn't like force. In fact, I actually took step backs multiple times and said, we are not ready for this yet. Let's take a step back. But Cogmo is still running separately. Uh, it's a quasi uh, together mode. So, uh, but I think we took the time to uh, do this and uh, and so that everybody had the time to go through the change, if you will. Uh, so I think these are some of the reasons why I think we had to succeed so far. And uh, are the uh, founders like... Uh, like, uh, are the founders in, uh, like, now co-founders at uh, Exotel, are they in it for the long haul? Or, like, what is the, the founders of uh, Cogno and, uh, like, you know, the uh, Sachin? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's the surprising part. Uh, both Sachin, certainly Sachin and maybe Aman as well. Both of them think of themselves as also founders. In fact, they are also. Uh, um, and uh, so I think that they think of this as their own company and they're in it for the long haul. Uh, they've actually both made uh, more money than I have actually. Uh, uh, but that's not really uh, stopped them from uh, continuing to pursue their dreams. So, uh, so it's all great. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. maybe just got lucky. Oh well, amazing! Uh, tell me what it takes to build a nine hundred people company, and you know, to to build it successfully. Actually, I don't think anybody should attempt to build a nine hundred people company. Uh, <laughs> I am I am myself not pleased with the number of people that we have. Uh, it's a pain. It's a pain uh, to communicate, to keep all of these people updated. Uh, to ensure that they are all aligned, it's uh, the overheads are just humongous. Uh, it's possible to um, one should always strive towards having lesser number of people for as long as they can because the larger the number of people, bureaucracy is an automatic uh, consequence of it, and that just sucks because uh, it is it really drives good people away and uh, it uh, breeds conformance, it breeds compliance and. Uh, such an institution will never do anything breathtaking. So, well, so one should always fight the uh, intuition to hire more. Uh, in fact, it's the other way around for me. I'm actually asking, well, how do we now do more with the people that we have? Right. So, I think that's the more right question to have. So, uh, so don't try to hire actually. So, hiring should be the last resort. Wow, that's an amazing insight. I have yet to hear that from someone that. Don't tie us. Wow, amazing. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, like, you know, how, how do you, uh, I mean, running a 900 people company is hard. Like, uh, how do you build, like, the leadership layers and, uh, you know, what is the way in which decision making happens? How process oriented are you as a company? Like, help me understand some of that stuff. So, uh, actually, see, uh, frankly, I don't really think about the 900 people at all. Uh, I only always think of the people who report to me. Uh, I had six, seven people reporting to me when we were a two other people company. I still have only some six, seven people reporting to me when we are an NRP people organization. And my goal is to ensure that I keep these guys aligned all the time. And uh, I specifically tell them anything that you are deemed as is on your headache is not my headache. My job is to ensure that you all understand what we are trying to do as a team. <clears throat> so in this sense, I don't think anything changes for me whether it is a 200, 2000 or a 20,000 people organization. Um, of course, the number of people whom you address in town halls and all of that increases, but in general, uh, it doesn't really change much from my standpoint. Okay. Um, I am personally a very structured person. Um, so I have my one-on-one with everyone and I have like a discussion list that I encourage them also to understand. So unless it is urgent, I try not to call people. So I actually keep on adding stuff. And then during my one-on-one, I take these uh, line items and I discuss them. Right? Um, I also, uh, you know, at depth try to discuss the OKR. So every one-on-one, I open the goals sheet and then uh, I ask them, so how, how are we doing this? Can we do it like this? How do we do that? Can we do it like that? So that usually the problem with the goal system is that people live in two parallel universes. So there is like mm-hmm. the system where you set up goals <coughs> and then you mm-hmm. go and then do something else. You respond to emails. At least three times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with each other, right? So my goal is to ensure that uh, we are able to now get people to be intentional about work 
uh, and not just like respond to email, respond to phone calls. And you can actually live uh, years just doing this. Uh, how do we now get people to be intentional about where they want to spend their time? Uh, so that's the kind of, and that's the fine tuning or nudging I'm trying to do using these. Mm, okay, amazing. And I, I'm guessing like this would kind of get passed out like your immediate reporters would kind of learn and then do the same practice with their uh, immediate reporters. That is the case. So culture always flows from the top. Uh, so mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. the ones that are working, uh, even without me having to ask, people automatically are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this team of six, seven people must be like, you know, real A players who, who would be directly reporting to you. How did you build this team? Like, you know. So two of them are my co-founders. So one is Sachin Bhatia. There's one each my partner. So they've been there from the very beginning. Um, so uh, all, all the other people were uh, hired, uh, so to speak. Uh, and I and I actually follow a, a proper process. So that I actually sit and write an elaborate JD. Uh, then I actually have a scoring mechanism. Then I take resumes. I look through the resume and then I actually score one zero one zero. Then I do a weighted average. And then see who actually has six on ten or more. Uh, then I try to do uh, multiple rounds of interviews, uh, and then there is a panel. Uh, uh, then I ask people to rate. Uh, so it goes through a certain process. And uh, fortunately, so far we've been um, good at. Uh, I mean, I'm very very happy with the, all the people that we've hired so far. Uh, so. So it seems to be working. I think uh, I just get very structured about how we hire, and that helps. Hmm. So it not also helps you to not, not hire more than you need, like if you're structured. Absolutely right. So I mean, uh, the idea is not to find rock stars. Like like we don't all need Steve Jobs. What we need is a clear understanding of what is it that I want from the person, and whether the person has the skills to be able to deliver. That's really the it's the marriage of those two things, right? So. And and I think ultimately the answer to that is uh, whether you have the JD made and whether you are hiring for the JD or you are hiring for your imagination. Mm, wow. That, that's, uh, I, I like that approach of creating parameters for rating uh, because that would again uh, give clarity. Uh, you know, once you start creating rating parameters uh, and I'm guessing this would be applied across all roles. So therefore, as an organization, the hiring would be very mindful because for every role, people would have to first think, what are the parameters for which I would rate people for this role? Like Absolutely. that indiscriminate hiring would automatically get discouraged because you would also need to put in that effort uh, even before you hire someone. Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Amazing. Amazing. So what do you uh, spend your time on? Uh, like, you know, what functions report to you? What, what's important to you? So, uh, uh, Sachin Badia runs growth, uh, Ishwar is our COO, he runs operations. Then I have the product head, uh, engineering head, uh, customer experience head, um, and, uh, finance CFO. Uh, so these are the people who report to me. Um, so, um, quite frankly, I spend a lot of time. During one-on-ones, during meetings, uh, I mostly spend time trying to bring the focus of the team back to whatever we agreed upon as goals. So the human mind has a tendency of drifting away into the, the newest shiny thing on the, on the, on the block. 
Uh, and so then my job is to say, wait, leave that. Come back here. This is what we said we'll do. Tell me more about this. Uh, so I find myself doing a lot of that. So it's a lot of discipline, actually. Execution is about discipline. Uh, execution is not about flamboyant conversation. Execution is not about great strategy. I mean, of course, great strategy is important. But once you have nailed the strategy, then you have to have the discipline to sit and execute. I think that's the, that's the part that, uh, that's hard. But I think a couple of, uh, actually, this is a, the discipline is a very important point because I, there are a few things that really help me um, be able to just turn up at work again and again without having to, uh, like a marathon versus a sprint sort of a thing, right? So, uh, so, uh, so I believe in the law of marginal gains. How, how close do you think you are to that end of, of where you want to take XFL to? Oh, there is no end. Uh, so XFL is the final thing that I will ever do in my life. Uh, and uh, so it's as much a part of my life as life itself is. Uh, so, uh, so I'm going to just keep doing this and keep building it as long as I can. But obviously, there will come a point when the company will become irrelevant, the world will move on. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, uh, I am a little bit afraid of that. Uh, but that's just the fact of life. Uh, everything, every good, all good things must come to an end. So, but. Whenever that is, whatever that is, I don't know. But until, until we get there, I'll keep going. Uh, what is the next milestone for you at Exotel? So I think we want to launch the uh, world-class cloud contact center that I've been talking to you about. Uh, sometime uh, early next fiscal is when we'd like to take that. And I'm actually quite excited about how the market will react to it. I want to see um, a few large banks adopting our contact center on the cloud. And uh, I want to be able to say that Hey, that support system is on us. Hey, this support system is on us. Uh, so that's what I'm actually very excited about. Uh, so it will hopefully be a product that the customers will love. Yeah, is there a competing product for this? Like uh, Genesis, uh, Avaya, okay. Cisco, Cisco has something. Uh, okay. They sell in the emerging markets. So, uh, yeah. So those products would not be priced for emerging market like... Uh, you want to create something equivalent, but at a emerging market price point. Uh, that's one way to think about it. But we also want to, I mean, there are also some specific viewpoints that we have that are different from, let's say, what a Genesis or a, a Avaya might think about. So, for example, we are actually a licensed telco as well. So we actually own or operate the underlying network. A Genesis would never do something like that. So we are also taking a very different uh, take on the matter. Um, so... So it, it won't be just uh, pricing it be more than that. Mm, okay, okay. Got it, got it. Okay, amazing. So strategy is the mm. And from a numbers perspective, what, you have some milestones? Like, our idea is to get to about 15 crores in top line uh, in about three years. Wow, amazing. And uh, do you need to raise more funds to hit 1500 crores? Or, or like... Uh, it is, and let me just put it a slightly different way. It is possible to figure out ways to run the company without having to run, uh, without having to race. Um, but I don't know if that's the ideal thing to do. Uh, so I think those, both those options are existing. So uh, there is a plan A and a plan B. Um, all of our investors are appreciative and supportive of our story so far. So I don't think raising itself will be a challenge. I think what we are instead talking about is how do we create a, uh, business that looks great for investors to come in if and when we do go public. I think that's the that's the problem statement that we are trying to solve. And uh, if we need to raise more money, then we will. 
Uh, and going public is what kind of timeline? What timeline? Um, hmm. uh, by going public, I mean to say, uh, how do we create a business that makes profits? I think that's the that's yeah. the key point. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, just going public will just make a few things easier in terms of our ability to raise capital and you know the leverages that we will get and the brand that we will get and so on and so forth. But there are also some negatives. Uh, you will you will live your life on a quarterly basis. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to take long-term bets when your know, stock's getting hammered. So it's not, uh, it's neither good or bad. It's just one more step uh, in the evolution of a company. So there are positives and negatives. So I'm aware of that. And uh, it happens, mm-hmm. it will happen when it happens. Okay. So uh, my uh, last question to you, uh, you know, most of our listeners are uh, aspiring founders, slash founders, slash people working in startups. And, you know, what advice would you like to give them about entrepreneurship? Uh, see, actually, uh, my take on advice is very different from um, most of how people will respond to this question. Um, first, first of all, I, I would like to start off by saying that I have no advice to give. Uh, and I, I'll try to explain what I mean. Um, so, um, you know, even as we grew up, uh, maybe your parents told you that, uh, hey, don't take any risks in life. It's a very bad thing. Uh, and then maybe my parents said, uh, you should always take risks because, uh, you know, otherwise you will actually not end up achieving anything. Right. So, uh, now what is the correct advice? Actually, they are both correct advice. Right. So if you keep on taking risks, uh, then at some point you are going to fall flat and you will fail and that's not a good feeling. However, if you don't take any risks and you just sit at home, then you are not going to experience the richness of life, and that is also good advice, right? So, so, um, so, so the tricky thing about advice, uh, the right advice that you need to hear, uh, the right advice for you is the advice that you need to hear. Uh, and I think as entrepreneurs, I mean, in general, in life. Uh, I think all of our goals is to try to figure out what is the kind of advice that you need to hear. I think that's the tricky part. You know, there is books on every goddamn topic under the sun, right? So that's not the hard part. The problem is that most of the time people are reading advice that is actually harmful to them, that is actually sending them in the wrong direction. So a person's very aggressive. He basically now goes and reads a book that says, what got you here will not get you there. And then he tries to be even more aggressive. Right, and then it just basically falls flat. Um, you know, so so that's the key thing, right? I think um, how can we now as individuals understand ourselves better? Uh, and once you are able to do that, once you are able to understand how your mind thinks or what are some of your thought patterns, uh, how do you react to situations? Uh, um, then I think uh, figuring out what you need to do is actually the easy part. Uh, I think. So that was, that's what I'd like to say, uh, which is that don't fall for random pieces of advice. Uh, try to understand yourself as a person. Mm, amazing. Amazing. Okay. Cool. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. 
write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.